you know, you're not going to lose your job to an AI, but you might lose it to someone who is good at using AI. So I think there's going to be room for all kinds of approaches and people using all kinds of different tools, whether it's more conventional or more AI-based. But I'm not too worried about anything going away because you always have to make your own opportunity in your own market as a writer. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. ChatGPT is fast becoming the biggest trend of 2023. But what does that mean for writers? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. Like many, I've been using ChatGPT on and off over the past few weeks and months for various parts of the writing process. Now, I wouldn't describe myself as an advanced ChatGPT user, but I do use it for some of the administrative parts of running a blog and content websites. For example, I'll use it to generate iterations of headlines, to write SEO meta descriptions, to generate ideas for FAQs that I put at the bottom of articles, and even to come up with article outlines. However, I do not use ChatGPT or AI tools to write an entire article because, let's face it, the results can be mixed. And I still like to insert some personality and also insert some research into the articles that I'm either writing myself or editing or commissioning. AI tools can be a real time saver. In fact, I even used an AI tool to help come up with the headline for this week's podcast episode. So if you're listening to this, you must have found the headline at least a little bit engaging. That said, many writers and creatives from other professions, particularly artists, are worried about how AI is going to potentially replace them. To be honest, as great as these AI tools are, they're not really a direct replacement for the work of a creative anytime soon. If anything, they can be a type of writing tool that you can deploy when you want to do something that's a little bit time consuming or cumbersome, or perhaps you just want a different approach to your work. In this week's interview, I caught up with the Canadian AI author, Tim Boucher, and he describes how he's using multiple different AI tools to produce short form fiction. In the interview, he goes into elaborate detail about the tools he's using, his writing prompts, and how AI is helping him experiment. In fact, one key thing Tim said struck me. He's not using AI to produce his short stories and novels faster or more efficiently. If anything, he's using AI to experiment and explore different creative approaches. In fact, he reckons it would take the same amount of time to write one of his short stories traditionally as it does for him to compile them with various AI tools. Hope you enjoy this week's interview with Tim. Even if you're not quite ready to use AI tools or you're just tinkering around with ChatGPT, it's a good insight into how potentially ChatGPT and other AI tools can help writers in the future. I took a good few notes from my interview with Tim and I'm going to experiment with some of the other AI tools that he suggests, which I wasn't quite as familiar with. If you do enjoy this week's interview, please consider leaving a short review in the iTunes store. You can even ask ChatGPT to write it. Or please consider sharing the show with another writer on Spotify or Overcast or wherever you're listening to this week's podcast episode. My guest today is Tim Boucher. He's a hyper-realist AI artist and writer. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hi, thanks. Tim, I was fascinated to catch up with you because you're somebody who's using the latest technology, including AI, to write short books. Uh, but before we get into your process for doing just that and some of your thoughts on AI tools like ChatGPT, how did you get into writing? What's your background? I've been working in technology for web platforms for getting on eight years now. But I've always been a writer since I was a kid. I spent a long time blogging to on different sites, but 
I really started getting back into writing in a more serious way when I was working as a content moderator for a fairly large web platform. And that kind of work can be distressing. It can be a lot of people sort of yelling at you all the time. I can only imagine from what I've read in the news, it sounds like a really difficult job. <laughs> yeah. So kind of that experience propelled me back to just wanting to write and sort of exist in my own space mentally and sort of like reclaim my own creativity from all of these demands and everything that I was getting from my regular job. And doing that, that first one really like unlocked a lot of doors for me, just in terms of my process and sort of like building the kind of universe that I want to write in and all of that. So I'm going to ask you about the books in a moment. But before I do, you also describe yourself as a hyper-realist. Could you elaborate? Yeah. So hyper-realism is a, is a term from postmodernism, And the idea is that Fact and fiction are blended and there's sort of a blurry division between what's real and what's fantasy. And I kind of combine that in my work with the idea of the uncanny valley where you can't always tell which parts of the work were human generated or which part were AI generated. So it's sort of this blurring of distinctions as an approach to storytelling. And you are currently writing short books with AI tools. How many short books have you written? I just finished number 73 and I started in August of last year. So that's pretty impressive. So the short books that you're writing, now correct me if I'm wrong here, they tend to average two to 4,000 words in length. Yep, that's about right. Um, could you give listeners a flavor for some of the, the themes and topics that you're writing about? Sure. So one of the things I like to do is to use the AI tools to write about AI. You know, in science fiction, there's a long history of sort of both the dystopian side and the utopian side of. AI technology and how it could impact society. So I write about that a lot. I write about sort of this idea of a near futuristic AI takeover of sort of like global governments and infrastructure. And But I also combine that with sort of supernatural elements, um, things that are, are fantasy more on that side. But the way that I, I tell my stories, it's it's not really necessarily a direct, straightforward narrative. What I do a lot of times is I'll write books that are more like fictional encyclopedia entries. So sometimes you see this in work like um, the Dune series or the Foundation series, where a chapter might start with a, a fictional in-world encyclopedia entry, but it's usually just an excerpt. But I've kind of gone and taken that as a primary approach instead of like as a secondary add-on thing. So I'll have in a book, I'll explore usually one topic, I'll break it up into sections, and then each book will cross-reference other books that they might drill down onto another related topic. So if a user finds like a link to another book, they will go check that out. And I get a lot of people who come back and they buy a bunch of different books, sort of just on whatever path interests them. And the, that's almost what you're, what you're describing is much like the approach... Uh, fiction writers would take to writing a series on Amazon, except you're doing this and selling direct on Gumroad. Right. Yep. So how do uh, readers come across your books if you're selling direct? So um, I'm not on social media too much. There's really mainly Reddit is the place that I still really like for social websites. I, I, I just find that it's still fun for me. I use Medium a little bit, but I'm using it less and I, I'm favoring going back to my personal blog, which I, I ran a personal blog for almost a decade. And early internet times from 2003 onward. So I'm having a really great time kind of going back to that and being able to rediscover my own authentic voice from a blog without sort of the distraction of the social media. And so people are starting to find my work through that too. 
but I would say probably Reddit is my first place that I interact with other people. I'll kind of like pop into threads in different places and, you know, share a link or talk about something that's in a book. Mm. Yeah, I was looking at your blog. You're doing something on your blog that was popular a year or two ago where people would have a page where that describes some of the projects that they're up to at the moment. I was interested to say, to, to read that you find WordPress a little bit weird. What's weird about it or what do you not like about it? <laughs> I mean, I've been on WordPress since really the beginning in some form or another, but it's just got too many features sometimes for just an ordinary blog. I think if you're just someone who wants to just get out there and write, you know, a site like Medium or another one like that is going to be easier because you just kind of open up a window, you write a story and you publish. If you're on WordPress, you have to set it up and you have to pick a theme and then you have to sort of deal with plugins, which sometimes are good, sometimes are bad. But it's sort of this ecosystem of third-party developers where each person adds their own contribution and you can pick and choose. But sometimes it's hard to find the ones that are good and that, that do the things that you want right out of, the, out of the bat. So Plus, when you install a few of them, they, they clash with each other, break the site, and slow, or slow it right down. <laughs> yeah. So there can be some amount of troubleshooting that goes into setting that up and maintaining that. But if you know, like kind of just to steer clear of certain things or you have a kind of like reduced set of functionality that you want, I think it's still a really good platform. And I love it because it's, you know, it's something that I can run on my own server. I don't have to be reliant on a company apart from my hosting company or have to worry about, you know, is my work going to be curated? Is it going to be downranked or, you know, whatever. It's just... I just do my thing and then I, I don't have to worry about all of the like platform side, which I've had to deal with kind of too much in my line of work. So it's it's a relief for me to just get back to that. Is the angle that you said there about the platform side, is, is that the reason why you're not using Substack, which many would say solves the technical issues of WordPress? Right. I mean, Substack is, you know, it, it seems like a great platform. I haven't used it too much. I've used it more as a reader than as a writer. I think it's probably a great way for people to reach readers and to build up a following. But it is the same thing. It's, you know, always being reliant on the decisions of a company to decide which features they're going to build or which features they're going to stop supporting, things like that. So if I'm in direct control, I can just go and do the thing that I want when I want it or when I need it. And I feel like that gives me a, a lot of freedom. And it takes the stress away for me too, because as someone who has worked a lot with technology platforms, sometimes you have sort of like this clear vision of how it could be better. I'll like send a suggestion to the company and they're like, yeah, we'll think about it. And it's like, well, I'm not going to rely on you to maybe implement that thing that if, if I just go on WordPress, I can usually find something that will satisfy my need more quickly than having to wait for a company to build it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of indie publishing or blogging or, or doing something yourself, whatever the mechanics and tools that you use are. So you, so you're currently using uh, ChatGPT. Are, are there other tools that you use as well, or is ChatGPT the main one? Right now, I'm using it because GPT-4 just came out, and that's really exciting. I have used a lot of Verb.ai too. I haven't been using it lately, just because I've been sort of exploring the new possibilities of GPT-4. But Verb.ai, I think, is really good if you want to kind of mix your own writing and then have something that gets completed or added by AI sort of within the stream of what you're writing in the editor. The way that I use ChatGPT is pretty different at this point. It's more like I'll go in and I'll say like, this is the topic, this is my style, this is the format, you know, and, and it's like the PDF entry. Give me a list of 
section titles and then I'll, I'll pick out the ones that I want. And then I'll say like, okay, use this, but add some more details. So the kind of the process and the approach is really different depending on what the tool is. We can go more into that if you want. If you could, yeah, I'm always fascinated to hear about how writers are using these tools. Please do. So this here's, here's one thing I'm excited about in GPT-4.2 is it seems to have a better comprehension and sort of a better approach to following instructions. And it has sort of like more creative completions that it will give you. So I found a lot of times in using the prior version, especially if you want to write something that's more fictional, that has like characters and story arcs and things like this, it's not great. It sort of stumbles and it gives you like really cliched things, which is part of why I, I sort of, you know, pivot in this direction of the more expository lore, world building, encyclopedia style stuff, because it's it's really good for that kind of, you know, here's something that's happening and it just describes it. So I really like using it for that. In GPT-4.2, I'm really excited because the last few days I started using it to code my own little utilities, my own little applications for customized writing tasks. I found that when I started using GPT-4, because I saw the capabilities and the quality, I started having these consistent methods. Like I said, I would have it generate a bunch of section titles for an encyclopedia entry and then go and expand each one. And I realized that it could achieve that task very well, very consistently. And then I was like, well, if I have this methodology, I could also turn this into my own little application and set up my own rules about how it could function. And then I could use the API to execute that. But the thing is, I'm not really a programmer. I've worked in technology, but I've always worked more on the sort of like human impact side. So I'm not a programmer. I'm not, you know, I don't have a, a super big background in anything beyond HTML and sort of like very basic JavaScript. But with GPT-4, I can go into chat GPT and I can say, okay, this is what I want. I want a simple application that does this. I want to be able to enter this text and then get this kind of result. And it can do it. It can take that text instruction and it can turn it into a little application. It takes a lot of tinkering. It takes a lot of patience. But it opens all these doors for me as a writer that I can now take my methodology of what I want to do and I can have it become a specific tool that then calls the API and does things and returns things in the format that I want or allows me to sort of make a little bit more creative explorations than it might be easy or possible to do in a chat-based format. So that's been really exciting for me. And I think there's a huge opportunity for writers there. As long as you're someone who has some patience and you don't mind tinkering and going back and forth and trying to fix errors, but it's really powerful and it changes so much. You know, I've always wanted to build those kind of tools for myself as an artist. And I feel that now all of these things are possible and it's just kind of a matter of like, prioritizing which ones I want to build. I'm up to my third one already. Like the last one I made was, if you know what an exquisite corpse is, it's like a surrealist technique where either for writing or for drawing, you each person in a in sort of like a game environment will write a section and then the next person can only see sort of like the end of what they wrote. Oh, I'm familiar with the game. Yeah. 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 So like then the next person kind of tries to continue the story, but then when you kind of unfold the whole thing, it has sort of this weird quality of all of these things. So that's the the next thing that I built for myself was just like a test. Could I use chat GPT to build a tool to make like sort of a creative writing exercise? And so far, so good. You know, like they take time, but each one I do it, it shows me better how it works. And, you know, accidentally in the process, I'm learning a lot about how JavaScript works and how API calls work. And it's not technical and annoying. It's, it's fun. And I, I feel that it's accelerating my knowledge and my learning in a way that I wasn't expecting and that 
as a writer, I never sort of thought that I would achieve, be able to achieve those goals, but now I am because of this technology. So even above and beyond just the sheer storytelling side or the sheer text generation side, that's really enormous for me. And I would like to go also eventually into those tools and be able to integrate things like image generations from Dolly and from Stable Diffusion, because I use those a lot in my work already. As you said, like each book, it's between about two and 4,000 words. And then I also include between 40 and 100 images that I include scattered throughout the text that sometimes they'll illustrate a point of the text. Sometimes they kind of just describe a mood or sometimes they even have like sort of another level of exposition. You know, like there might be a tone of voice in the text that when you see what's described in the pictures, you, you kind of like you get another dimension to the whole thing. So I'm excited to be able to like bring all of these tools together, both the visual side and the writing side. This is uh, it's completely new, unexplored territory for me to be able to combine all of those things so easily and of a good quality too. You know, like sure, sometimes the books, they're a little fuzzy on the details because of the, the AIs. They sometimes invent details or they call this hallucinations, you know, where sometimes from a, a chapter to another, it will change the name or the gender or the location of something, you know. Or it could be a phantom limb in an image. Yeah, yeah. I think if you have a conventional approach as a writer, that might become very frustrating. But I've kind of leaned into those foibles. Like I want to show those things. I want to document that this is what the tools produce now. You know, like this is the way they function. And these are the sort of artifacts that are native to this type of functioning. So that's something that I think that as a creator, you have to kind of like make peace with that, or you have to find a way to creatively use that that will fuel your goals. Does the application run on your computer as a type of JavaScript application, or are you running it in some other way? You mean the the ones that I'm writing with ChatGPT? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm using just HTML and JavaScript, and then it has some API calls in a, a JavaScript file. So it runs on my computer, and it's the kind of thing that I could easily share it with friends, you know, so they can run without any special setup too if they want to test it or if they want to make their own version of it. Eventually, the ones that I make that are less buggy and that are a little bit better quality, I'll, I'll probably put on GitHub so that other people can try them too and plug in their own API keys and, and see what they can come up with. Fantastic. Last week, I was reading an interview with Claire Silver, who's an AI artist, and she's created some of her work as NFTs. So I was reading about how she uh, creates her AI art, and sometimes she'll get imagery, feed it into one of the tools, generate an output and then take that output and put it into a different tool. Is that something you've experimented with? I have actually. So one of the things that I, I started to do with, with another tool that I, I built the other day was the tool would generate kind of like chunky bits of text that were on their own a bit incoherent, but I would take those outputs from the app that I built and then I would bring them back into chat GPT using GPT-4 as the model. And then I would say like, okay, now make this into something that actually makes sense, but using these same elements. And it did a great job. It just like took this thing that was like kind of hazy, kind of cloudy, and it, and it turned it into something that actually you could read and make sense. But I've done that too with bouncing back and forth between tools from completely different providers, you know, like taking something from verb.ai and bringing that into character.ai, which is another one that I like. You can sort of like set up fictional dialogues or fictional bots and then have a dialogue in character with that bot. So I've done that too, like taking the dialogues from character and then bringing them into another tool and then having completions that are generated by, you know, a third tool. I think it's fun and it's interesting and you get results that you won't get 
otherwise, but sometimes it's time consuming to pop back and forth between all of those things when you just want to like get to the finish line on a specific project. So I think there's room for both with the the exploration and the combination. And then sometimes you just want one thing to get the job done, you know? And how do readers react when they find that you're writing these short stories and snapshots with AI? I've had a, a range of reactions. I had a couple major news outlets that they wanted to do fact checks because I published some sets of images that I made using Dolly that they were supposedly depicting the rediscovery of a lost civilization in Antarctica. So those images, they were labeled in the post, you know, that this was generated by AI and all of that. But other people took them and they recontextualized it either in Facebook or YouTube or TikTok or Twitter or whatever. And they took out, you know, the watermarks in the image that show that it's from Dolly and they, they never referenced my original post. So a lot of people were looking at those images and sort of imagining or hoping that they were real. And that's why Reuters and France 24, they, they contacted me to do fact checks because they kind of like followed the trail back to me of the images. So I've seen a range of different reactions, especially to those things, because people see them in the wild and they don't know necessarily that it's connected to a book. And so some people will be like, oh, this is definitely real. And other people will come in and say it's fake and here's why. And they'll point out all of the things. And I like that. I want there to be this conversation about the reality and the unreality of the whole thing. You know, that's sort of the niche that I'm after. So in my work, I do a a combination of different types of labeling. On Gumroad, you know, I I label myself as an AI publisher. My brand or my imprint is called Lost Books. And then within the books themselves, there's a disclaimer that says some aspects of it may be created by AI. And also on my website, I write about the books. I write about the process and about, you know, building these different tools and about using AI and sort of my reactions to the industry and, and how all those things are going. So I think there's a lot of different pathways that people are coming in to the books. And I think some people are buying them knowing full well that it's AI and that it's just like a fun sort of art book. And then maybe there are other people who are coming in from a different pathway of finding it. And they might have the idea that maybe some of this is real. And I don't necessarily, as the artist, want to tell them which is which. You know, like that's part of the the intrigue for me is mixing those up and having people make their own assessments about what what's happening here. Well, it's pretty clear when when I look at last books that AI is helping you to create these stories. So if I were to buy one of these, I certainly wouldn't feel misled. So typically, anyone who bores AI. Yeah worries that it's going to replace the work of writers. But it sounds like your process is quite creative. I mean, you're, you're coding, you're combining writing prompts, you're finding approaches to working with different tools. Do you think these tools are going to become a more yeah. core part of the writing process for fiction writers over the next few years? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I don't really ad- adhere to this idea that people are going to lose their jobs over this. But I have seen one take on that that I, I like a little bit better that says something like, you know, you're not going to lose your job to an AI, but you might lose it to someone who is good at using AI. So I think there's going to be room for all kinds of approaches and people using all kinds of different tools, whether it's more conventional or or more AI-based. But I'm not too worried about anything going away because you always have to make your own opportunity in your own market as a writer. So if somebody's listening to this and they're they're thinking, I'm going to start experimenting with AI, is ChatGPT the tool that you'd recommend they use first? I mean, it's the one that gathers the most news headlines. I think it is good because it gives you 
an idea of the sort of the scope and the depth of what AI is capable of. And it's the most versatile in terms of like, you can just give it a plain text description of what you want and, and it will give you something that, that sort of matches it. And then you can kind of go back and forth and, and fine tune it. But I really do like Verb AI also just because, you know, you can go in with a paragraph and then use a command continue and it will just write the next thing that it thinks is going to be there. And then you can also do a describe command. So if your characters see an object, you know, you can say like describe this object and you, you give some parameters for the description and it will do that too. And it's really simple. It's really basic, but it's starting to have some powerful functionality too, like you can use the outline mode to describe characters and to describe sort of like what happens in each scene. I'm bad at that kind of thing. I'm not a good writer in terms of like planning out plots and stuff ahead of time. But I know some people really like that kind of outlining. And I think those aspects of it are going to become better over time. I think there are still a lot of like tricky technical challenges in making that work. I would recommend those two. Another one that's free that I use a lot is textsynth.com. There's a, a playground tool on there where you can pick between a few different open source language models like GPTJ and NeoX and some other ones. So between those three sites, I think most people can get what they want. There are a bunch of other ones now too. I've tried a lot, but those are my favorite ones. Yeah, I'm looking at TechSynth here. It's pretty, you can use this without signing up an account and you can just paste in some sample text and it'll automatically produce an output. What about the commercial tools that I read recently that Jarvis.ai may have a, a billion dollar valuation, which seemed incredible. It sounds like a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I have seen some of those tools. I've used some of them a little bit. Or Jasper.ai, I should say. I think they rebranded. Yeah, yeah, Jasper, yeah. I'm less interested in those tools because they are more aimed for marketing and sort of like search engine optimization. I know you can use them for other things, but I think that's their biggest market and that's probably why they had such a high valuation is because, you know, everybody wants to do marketing copy and it's it's a, a kind of a writing that it takes a special type of skill and not everyone has it. So it, it brings things into reach that were not in reach otherwise. So you know, I think there's a utility for it. I don't use it myself just because I'm more interested in like sort of the experimental hyper creative side of writing and image creation and all of that stuff. So and when it comes to the image tools, do you have a preference for which software or tools you like to use? Yeah, I use just regular Dolly, but also I've been using a lot, a tool called playgroundai.com. It has Dolly that you can use and you pay credits for it, but it also has a free daily limit for making stable diffusion images, which I forget what it is, but it's something like a thousand images per day for free, which is an enormous amount of images per day. So I've used both the, their free version and the paid version. I think most people would probably be fine with the free version if they just want to see what it's like and how it works if you haven't tried it before. I've tried Dream Studio too, which is the one that's sort of like the official one from Stability AI who, who created stable diffusion or helped create it. And I think actually Playground AI has a better interface. It's more friendly and, and it's free for so much use. So that's primarily what I use. What was the Playground URL that you described? Playgroundai.com. Playgroundai.com. Oh, great. I'll be sure and check it out. So how long does it take you to produce one of your books using all those tools and systems? Yeah. So when I'm going at my fastest, I can usually get a new one out every three days or every four days or something. But I think like in terms of hours spent, it's probably between six and 10 hours per book. Yeah. 
Which is interesting because it would take, I would say, a professional writer about that long to produce something traditional written without the help of AI as well. Yeah, and that's something I thought of before. Is it's not like you press a button and it spits out a story. Right. And it's like, okay, for a 2,000 word piece, you know, am I spending the same amount of time that I would be doing it manually? And, and sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is that it allows me to greatly increase my word count. But sometimes it's not that that I get from it. You know, sometimes it's sort of like the direction or the, the content or the quality that I'll, that I'll get from the tools. But also that includes generating images. And a lot of times I'll generate, you know, close to double the quantity of images that I'll end up using. And then I'll go and I'll sort of like curate the best ones. And then I have some like image processing that I'll do for cover art and for previews that I use in Gumroad to sort of show like what kind of art is in the book and what are the major themes and stuff. And then just I use Vellum as an ebook app. So I'll combine all the, the final results there and generate that as an EPUB or as a Mobi file. And then I put it up on Gumroad and basically I'm finished. So And readers find your books then organically via Gumroad and, and also via Reddit from what you were saying earlier on. Interesting. It's a great approach. So, so Tim, if people want to read your books or learn more about your thoughts about AI for writers, where should they go? Sure, they can go to Gumroad and if they type in lostbooks.gumroad.com, they'll find the work. You can also go to my sort of publisher website, which is lostbooks.ca, and that will give you a link to the Gumroad and then a link to some other books and some press that I've had. And it will also link to my personal blog, which is timboucher.ca, and that's spelled T-I-M-B-O-U-C-H-E-R.ca. And that's kind of where I'll write about the technology and the art and the books themselves and the process and everything. I'll be sure to include the links in the show notes. Thank you for your time, Tim. Yeah, great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. 